In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Tokenet Radio, Toki Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on Toginet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships sans the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet. And now, here's your host, Lou Paget. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for being with us this evening. Tonight, I have a very special guest, and I will introduce her in a moment. What I would like to do tonight is to cover and give you the insight of a woman who has been a sexuality professional and sex therapist in this field for almost, if I'm not mistaken, three decades. And she can give you the insight in what has changed, what's going forward, what are what is happening within our field, and what some of her toughest things that she has dealt with, and maybe give, for those of you who are listening, an insight into something that you may not have known was something that you could actually address. Berta, are you with me right now? You, Lou. Hi. Hello. <laughs> um, are you getting wet as well, my dear? I am quite delighted that I am comfortably in a lovely office on the 11th floor looking out on the rain without being impacted by it. Excellent, because where we are, we are very moist. It's a very rainy night tonight in uh, Los Angeles. Yes, it is. First off, Berta, am I correct in saying that it is three decades? It absolutely is. At least it's getting on three decades. I hate to count. (laughs) I hate to admit it, but it's so. Now, and I know one of the things I also wanted to just ask you, what people... Dr. Davis did her Ph.D. in New York and then did work here at UCLA. And then she also was in Japan when she and her husband moved to Japan and her son was born there. And you headed up, was it a newsletter that you first started there? What I did when I lived in Japan, I was... uh co-director of the Institute for International Living, and uh, what we worked with were people who were foreigners, such as ourselves, mm-hmm. who were struggling with issues of adjustment to living in a culture that 
they had not grown up in. And in uh-huh. addition, wrote a weekly column for the Japan Times, which was the largest uh, English-speaking newspaper in Japan called On Your Mind. And that was a weekly column of advice to expatriates who were struggling with uh, all different kinds of issues of life in a foreign culture. Mm-hmm. Now, how... I mean, I'm sure that, you know, you went back to all of the stuff of, of having been there when all of the tsunami stuff hit. That was that was very disturbing because there are people who I still know and am in contact with, but they are in the Tokyo area. So okay. I was quite, quite relieved that those people who I knew personally were not affected. But I was very touched by, um, you would hear on the news that the Japanese would wait online for two, three hours for gas or food. There was Mm -hmm. no expression of distress or upset. They were comfortable. The level of containment, which is so core to the Japanese culture, clearly Mm -hmm. has been witnessed in the way they've handled this particular crisis. Well, I I got a um, my books as as you know are published in many different languages, and my Japanese editor sent an email saying similar things that you know their concern was for the people in the north that they're you know from a publishing standpoint that there has been flooding of the publishers, a lot many of whom the printers were in the northern area, and also for the storage of paper. So that impact, and again, then she said, and I do apologize for the impact worldwide of mm-hmm. the issue with the radiation, which, again, was such a, a very much their culture's way of how they address something like this. Yeah, and what, I'm, what I haven't noted so far is no one has committed suicide because usually when the Japanese feel embarrassed or ashamed, they take Uh such a high level of responsibility that oftentimes they will handle that by a level of self-harm. Really? Yeah, so I'm surprised that no one at the uh, nuclear factory has hurt themselves yet. Mm-hmm. Not yet, but that would be a, a somewhat, at least that would have been a somewhat typical way of handling it. But again, I'm going back. I left Japan uh, probably 25 years ago, so mm-hmm. I obviously do not know the more personal, deeper ways of, you know, how how the culture has changed, which I'm mm-hmm. not. Well, before we, before we, you know, when, when I was sending you questions, Concerning this, is there a, I'm going to go to the question on the comparison of the Western culture versus the Asian Japanese culture in the sexual issues that each culture may be addressing. Are they similar? Are they different? Um, I will say, Lou, I was a student when I lived in Japan, a student Mm -hmm. of the Japanese culture. Um, and I did not personally work with uh, Japanese people who were struggling with any of the issues of adjustment. But there are massive differences, for example, in the way children are raised. Mm -hmm. Uh, The mother-child bond 
is very physical and remains very intense. There is something called an umbu in which a Jap, it's in effect a, we call it the, what we carry children either on the front or on the back. Mm-hmm. But on occasion, uh, let's say Caucasian families will use that. But a Japanese mother uses that constantly. She will never be she will never not be in the presence of her child. And her child will really physically be attached to her even after the child starts to walk. When I say physically attached because the child will be in this umbu. Mm-hmm. Also the physical relationship of parents and children are very different because everyone sits on the floor, eats on the floor, so the child roams back and forth without a sense of physical danger. You know, we have our high chairs, we have our whole tables. So that really, how do I, I say, the child has total physical ability to move comfortably without a sense of danger. Rarely do you see a Japanese child cry. Um, Parents are there on a physical way, and if that doesn't work, something is always being put in a child's mouth. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if we would be on a train and my son would whimper at all, immediately some Japanese woman would pop a piece of candy out or a piece of really. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That that just was not allowed and would not happen. At the same time, by the time a child hits, oh, five years of age and starts school, there is a real sense of rigidity. So you can walk into a Chinese, into a kindergarten, a Japanese kindergarten, and there will be um, 35 pictures of a dog, all done using the same color crayons, all look relatively the same, the importance of rules and order, and obedience is on a very, very high level, whereas we stress with our children at a young age um, creativity. We don't want them to have pictures of dogs which all look the same. We want to see what the child's own expression or experience is. The individual. The individual. Now, how that impacts what goes on in the bedroom, um, I was not working directly with the Japanese at that period of my life, nor was I specializing in sexuality. However, you could walk into a train at 12 o'clock at night being a single woman or a woman by herself, and even though the men would be quite drunk, and Uh all reading comics of a very highly erotic nature with a lot of BDSM, Uh they would never touch you. They would barely look at you. They would just be absorbed in their comics, even though these comics were quite... um, aggressive or have lots of aggressive tones, it would be self-contained. It would not be expressed outward. Mm -hmm. The other major difference throughout Japan, they have something called love motels. 
And love right, motels right. could be rented for a two-hour period of time. Uh, they were meant both for married couples to give them an opportunity to be sexual because they lived in such close quarters with not only their children who would sleep beside them, but also at times with in-laws. Right, so right. I knew of many Japanese couples who would go off for a two-hour period of time and rent one of these love motels. Um, mm -hmm. Then we're, we're going to go to a break, Berta, in like right. 10 seconds. And then I want to come back and discuss more of the Love Motel and of the adult novelty products that we see coming from Japan and right. the impact culturally. Stay with us. We'll be back right after the break. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom, Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on TogiNet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Innovation and insight. Problems and solutions. Capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com. Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions, helping you identify the real problems, and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence, and more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guests teach us how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time with author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Tonight, my guest is Dr. Berta Davis. 
She is a clinical sexologist, clinical, pardon me, psychiatrist, clinical psychologist. Hello. You'll get it right, yes. Uh, you know, eventually. <laughs> Here in um, Los Angeles, she has an office in, uh, in is it in, Sherman Oaks and Beverly Hills? It's actually Encino and... Encino uh, and, and Beverly Hills. And she can deal with couples who are dealing with issues within relationship and with sexual issues as well. Her website is www.bertadavis.com. So it's www.bertadavis.com, and you can find out there. Anyway, Berta is my guest this evening. She's also a friend of mine. And before we went to the break, we were speaking of the differences within a Japanese family and the raising of children and its impacts on the the parents and their bedrooms, the, the love motels that they go to because of how crowded their living arrangements may be. And then we're also going to go in and speak on adult novelties and the toys that I see coming in that to me are very reflective of the Japanese um, attitudes on sexuality and um, its expression. But, Berta, I... Let me just bounce this off of you. I have a friend of mine who, he is Caucasian. She is Japanese. They were married. She, you know, and he said she absolutely adores me, you know, worships the ground that I walk on. When their first daughter was born, she then proceeded, when you speak of that physical bond, she then proceeded to sleep with the children. There were then three children um, eventually, she slept with the children until they were like 13 years old. And needless to say, the impact on the partner-husband-wife relationship, it it just evaporated. Yes, it does. Because the emphasis for a woman, at least historically and culturally, has been to raise children. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of uh, marriage is to procreate and to bring up healthy children. And they believe that that occurs with a very close bonding between mother and child. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it doesn't surprise me that that is what's happened. And I've worked with a couple of Japanese couples uh, since I've been back in the United States, and oftentimes there was an absence of sexuality between husband and wife, where mother mm-hmm. was totally absorbed in the child and did not even feel a desire to be connected to her husband in a sexual way. Even past those first three to five years, because one of the things that we know happens for all women, um, once a child is born during those first several years, let's say until the child is two or three, there is a lot of physical contact between mother and child. Mm -hmm. The child is hugging, kissing, cuddling, mother is diapering, and Oftentimes, by the time her husband comes home and he might want to be close to her, her feeling is sometimes, quote-unquote, I've given it the office, or or I've been so involved in physical touch that what the woman wants at that point, what the mother wants, is just 
give me some alone time. Right. Just they, 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 read a book. Mm-hmm. Don't hold me. Don't cling to me. And I think some of her needs for physical affection and attention are met during those early years in the bonding that she experiences with her child, whether we're talking about a Caucasian woman or an Asian woman. You know, you know, Berta, when you make this comment, I'm reminded when I was writing my fifth book, Hot Mamas, Sexuality During in a um, Pregnancy and Immediately Thereafter, right. when I was speaking to the woman who I was working with on some stuff, her comment was, I just, because she was breastfeeding, she said, I am so touched out. Right. I do not want to be touched one more second. And what she also said, that she and her partner, um, she said her partner would come home and she would want to, you know, be hugged and to, and to be touched. Um, this is a, uh, a lesbian couple. And she said, I just all, she said, I realized that I had to step up to the plate and do something because I was getting all of my sensual needs taken care of with the baby. Right. And, you know, how soft and how the smell and everything. But she said, I just couldn't even. And yet we know from what our work is how crucially important that touch is to have and maintain the connection between partners. Yes. <clears throat> and one of the concerns is that women oftentimes feel guilty when they are not responsive their mate during those early years and part of the reason why they're not is not only are their sensual needs being met but when they're breastfeeding um, they're feeling lovely and warm and sensual but they're trying to separate out eroticism from Mm -hmm. internal feelings and it gets very confusing when you are breastfeeding and then you are making love to your lover or your husband, and your uh, nipples start to uh, lubricate. <laughs> right, and then there starts. Then there can also be, depending on when you most recently nursed, there can right. also be. It can also just start flowing out. Or, as a woman I know who would pose, she would do. She was an, an um, artist model. And her literally, her breasts would start growing while she was doing the live, you know, standing. And all of a sudden, at one point this one night, they were just started like flowing out. Right. And that becomes a real source of anxiety for women. So. And, and it's also, how can I change this thing that's sort of this utilitarian package that's right. feeding my child to something that's centralized again? You know, one of the things that I think would be so wonderful, so many couples do something called the Lamas class, which is preparation for childbirth. Mm-hmm. So it would be so wonderful if those classes would continue beyond the birth of a child. So husbands and wives could join with other husbands and wives and talk about some of the massive adjustments following the birth of a child and some of the massive adjustments for husbands because even though they've both gained this new wonderful child, for the man, particularly during those first couple of years, he doesn't have as, as significant a contact with a child, at least 
in a traditional marriage where she's home and where he's working. Um, and he's lost his wife in some very significant ways. And it presents yes. a major problem. And it would be so lovely if husband and wives can talk about and have an opportunity to talk with each other in which men began to realize that they weren't the only ones who were feeling alone and abandoned. In fact, there's a fairly high level of sexual acting out that will occur on the part of men during Mm -hmm. early childbearing years because they are feeling so frustrated and so abandoned. Well, you know, there's also the oft-times women, too. And, again, when I wrote Hot Mamas, the reason I did is because I saw so often how couples pull apart when a woman becomes pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then she might also have a physician. And here's the thing. Just because there's an OBGYN that studies that area of a woman's anatomy does not mean that that OBGYN is a comfortable talking about sexual function or talking about sex. They might talk about sex and say, this is how you deal with you know, pregnancy prevention. Mm-hmm. But what happens is they often might be told or have an old wives' tale, you should not ever have sex when you're pregnant. It can cause the orgasm, can cause a miscarriage. Or the husband might have the issue of, oh, dear, the baby's going to feel the end of my penis. Which... I'm, I'm delighted to say that at least the uh, gynecologist that I've worked with in my 25 years of being a sex therapist will often say in response to mothers who ask until what a until what stage of the child's development can we have sex mm-hmm. uh, meaning when she's pregnant and the gynecologist will say you must promise me that uh, he will not be on the table as I wheel you into the delivery room <laughs> oh, yeah. so, I had I had a similar a gentleman in um top uh, sexologist uh, and OBGYN, uh, Jules Black, he said, you know, when things get going, and he said, and you're on the way to the delivery room, shut him off and let's go. (laughs) (laughs) They might not give very good information about what's going on sexually, but at least they are giving permission for women to be sexual. The other interesting thing, a certain percentage of women feel particularly sexual uh, during pregnancy. Not Mm -hmm. all women, but a lot of them do. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. though, at the same time, you know, the man might be feeling uncomfortable and uncomfortable with looking at this woman who is beginning to, who is holding his baby, who is carrying his baby, and some of his deeper issues around either she's, he, he might see her as being pregnant and being fat or being concerned, as you said, about the safety or health of his unborn child. Mm-hmm. Even though the woman might be feeling sexual and very sexual during that time, sometimes men are uncomfortable with the dramatic physiological and physical changes. So some of them are absolutely huge. Now, uh, my guest this evening is Dr. Berta Davis. We're talking about sexuality and pregnancy, and we are going to go to a break, and when we come back, we are going to continue this and Dr. Davis's review and overview on the things that she has seen in three decades doing her work. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. 
This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrock. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on TogiNet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Be here for Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Trisha will dig deep into topics that matter most to women, inspiring women to make a change in their own lives and to make a difference in the world, and maybe even deep within their own hearts. Trisha is a wife, mom, speaker, family expert, and author of 24 books. For more information on Trisha and Living Inspired, go to her website, trishagoyer.com. That's T-R-I-C-I-A-G-O-Y-E-R.com. Trisha's vision is to be the voice of hope and possibility for women of all ages. Her intention is to serve ordinary women by encouraging extraordinary things with God's help. Trisha expresses real life, real hope for real women. Is there more living for you to do? Yes. Start living inspired. Living Inspired with Trisha Goyer. Thursday afternoons at 4, 3 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Lou Paget and my guest this evening is Dr. Berta Davis. And before the break, we were talking about the impact of sexuality on, on sexuality of pregnancy and that some women, and my understanding is, Berta, that for 40% of women, there is an increase in their libido. And for some women, it is seriously yes. off the charts. They're yes. kind of like, you know, come and let mama show you. <laughs> so, but what we also both know is how impactful it is for the men when, as I've had men say to me, you know, oh, my God, I don't want to have happen to me. What's happened to my friends is that as soon as she gets pregnant, I'm going to get cut off from having sex. That's, you know, that's not what I signed up for. Mm-hmm. And, and we oftentimes see... he gets cut off after the birth of the child, not during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that's what we're the, talking the, about. Yeah, yeah. The, the no time, the drop of estrogen, right. nursing, trying to get a rhythm, trying to get, you know, a routine for the family. And that's, you know, 
we we all know. But I agree with you. I think there should be something that instead of just the Lamas, then all of a sudden people go home and they're by themselves in a very isolated way. And, I mean, doulas help them go through this. Other, There needs to be something else rather than just, you know, telling people go home and sort it out yourself. I do, as you know, a fair amount of teaching. I'm an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at UCLA, and I teach both uh, psychiatrists, fourth-year psychiatric residents and marriage and family counselors, as well as social workers and other psychologists who are studying to become more comfortable with the field of sexuality and couple work. And I've turned to my students year after year and said, if you want to start a private practice, if you want to be doing something of some real significance, start to work and start to get connected with some of these Lamaze teachers and offer groups because these are the couples who will so benefit from the from being being able to meet with you and to be able to talk about the changing relationship that occurs post-birth of a child. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's of major significance and importance that uh, couples realize that changes do occur and uh, that there are tools and techniques that they can utilize to help them overcome some of these problems. And some of these, you know, really important things are to try to get some time away to uh, experience yourself as a couple without being a threesome or a foursome. Mm-hmm. And, and, Berta, when I wrote Hot Mamas, the reason for that is because I constantly, I would see, and I saw it validated time after time after time, that the number one time that there is a separation or a divorce, it is invariably tied to and right around two years from the birth of a child. Now, it may not have been the first child, but it's when two years of a birth of a child. And it's because the dynamic shifts so dramatically, and it's even more so if the child has a health issue. Oh, very much so. And it's particularly difficult now in families in which mothers are returning to work almost almost immediately after Mm -hmm. getting the requisite eight weeks off. But once they return to work, there's an an added stress because when they come home, they want to be with their child. Um, And men have traditionally not been raised to feel the same need to bond during those early years. Their needs to connect with children usually occur after two years of age. Mm-hmm. So that creates... And, and you know, I mean, I know that women have said and, and time and time again, I come home and she has three jobs. She's got right. a job that she goes to work. She has dealing with the child. And then she has this, now I have to, you know, do, you know, the relationship mom thing. And women just end up getting pulled in so many different directions. But we need to find, you know... The reason people come to talk to us is because they have issues. We need to do things to have things, these things not get in the way for people, for their relationships and for their building of a family. Mm-hmm. Now, we are working uh, very hard on, on that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. Now, what I'd like to, one of my questions for you is 
what have been, you know, what have been some of your toughest cases and what have you done to create solution or to create a, you know, a healing path for them? I kind of giggled when I saw that question, Lou. You sent me about six or seven questions. This is about the only one that appeared on the list. And I started talking about my life in Japan. When I started to write the column for the Japan Times, the editor of the Japan Times explained to me that what he wanted me to do was to talk about Susan Smith and her relationship to her husband, um, and what their problem was and how I would suggest or how I suggested in the privacy of my office that they resolve their problems. And I mm-hmm. came in and with a very straight face and said, are you aware that Susan Smith is married to the ambassador and or charged affair of a major company of the world and or Susan Smith is married to the president or CEO of Exxon Japan or Apple Computer or whatever else it was. And I don't think that they would be comfortable letting their uh, private information reached the public eye. And he looked at me with a straight face and said, Hanto? And Hanto meaning, is that really the truth? But he was very, very interested in finding out the specific information about specific people. I probably get at least three to five either calls or emails or faxes a week saying, don't I have a couple who would be willing to appear on Oprah or some other people and reveal what their particular problem is? So when you ask me what are the toughest cases, even though I know you do not expect any detail, <laughs> I will give you <laughs> some little information. What, what without any... Um, Identifiers. Exactly. But what we are seeing is as we become more and more aware of child sexual abuse, and that's become much more widely recognized and accepted, women who have, and it's particularly women but not limited to women, who might have a very high sexual interest prior to marriage and comfortable or at least seemingly comfortable with their sexuality, once they are married and or once they have a family, uh, memories and associations of being abused as a child emerge. And once that happens, they will frequently shut off sexually and have no desire for sexual contact with their mate. And when their mate, when their husband, spouse approaches them, what they then begin to feel is some of the pressure that they felt when they were younger and Mm -hmm. were abused as children and therefore are really repelled by sexual contact. So even as these women start to explore and talk about their feelings of being repelled by sexual contact because it reawakens 
within them feelings of being sexually abused, and men can be empathic about that. At the same time, they are feeling a desire and a genuine desire for their wife in a sexual way. At times, they feel very, very duped because what happened to you, you know, what happened to the woman that I married? Why is it that now, after we are married, these feelings are first becoming to the surface? And these Mm -hmm. men are understandably feeling very deprived. Uh, In cases where these men can really be empathic with the fact that their wife is no longer feeling sexual desire and where these men can respond to their wife in a way that says, I love you, I care about you, I want to touch you, and where they exert no pressure to be sexual, where their feelings are, I love you, I care about you, I want to touch you, I want to hold you, I want to cuddle with you, and it doesn't have to end in intercourse or oral sex. We have a very a much higher rate of change where women are not feeling pressured but feel that they have a choice to be sexual or not to be sexual. This will lead oftentimes to women feeling more comfortable and being able to separate internally their spouse from the perpetrator. But mm-hmm. this will take more than three to four to five sessions. This is oftentimes a long-term process. But when a man can absolutely communicate, I love you, I care about you, I desire you, and I am comfortable when we will touch each other, hold each other, and it does not have to end in some more traditional form of sexual expression, we will get a much more comfortable resolution of underlying child sexual abuse issues. But my sense is the most difficult cases that I've had to work with, the most, the greatest pain is really when women begin to become more aware of the fact that they were sexually abused. And oftentimes prior to marriage, they've been in a somewhat dissociated state. Mm-hmm. That they haven't been aware of the sexual abuse. Oh, and wow, now. Yes. Now, no, Berta, I'm sorry, we're going to have to take a break here. And All right. we're going to come back with this. My guest is Dr. Berta Davis, and we are discussing her some of her toughest cases. Stay with us. We will be back right after this break. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. 
Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million-dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million-dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Season Me is on Toginet. A delightful, thoughtful, serious, and not-so-serious call-in show with Cecil Murphy and Twyla Belk. Tuesday nights at 8, 7 Central on Toginet.com. You know Cease is the veteran author from 90 Minutes in Heaven, Gifted Hands, When a Man You Loved Was Abused, and many other books, as well as a mentor for writers. And Twyla Belk is an effervescent force known as the Gotta Tell Somebody Gal. She's also a writer and motivational speaker who's always bragging on God. For more on Cecil Murphy, go to his website, Cecil Murphy, that's P-H-E-Y dot com. And for Twyla, GottaTellSomebody.com. The show, Season Me, is a far-reaching, faith-based, shared conversation and call-in show with questions welcome. A chance to get everything out in the open. From questions about writing, to surviving sexual abuse, to the topics of the day. All from a Christian worldview to help you. Season Me, Cecil Murphy, Twyla Belk. Tuesday evenings at 8, 7 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back, everyone. My guest this evening is Dr. Berta Davis, and over the break, we were discussing, you know, some other things. Dr. Davis has a phenomenal um, resort in Mexico, um, Via Milagro, Milagro? That's exactly correct. It's oh. MexicoVillaMilagro.com. Um, it is located outside of Ixtapa, so for those people who live in Los Angeles, it's a three-hour plane trip. It's mm-hmm. on a gorgeous, romantic, secluded beach. More and more couples and honeymooners are coming to get away from what we were talking about, the children and the stresses of everyday life. It's a, it's a gated property. 24-hour security, and I am so pleased now because more and more I'm beginning to run seminars, both seminars for professional people who want to learn more about sexuality, Uh as well as for uh, couples who want to be in an environment that they can comfortably explore their relationships and their sexuality. So it's been a lovely way for me to expand the work that I do in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And Milagro is spelled M-I-L-A-G-R-O? Right. Okay. So MexicoVillaMilagro.com. And right. you were telling me that you had sent me an email on this 
seminars that you are putting together for professionals in our area. Exactly. Uh, On June 24th through June 28th, I will be taking a group of uh, professional people to Mexico for a lovely, in-depth experience of uh, discussing some of the issues that you and I have been talking about today over the phone. And it becomes a lovely, long weekend with a fabulous chef and uh, in a very unique uh, villa. So, mm-hmm. and and as we know, I mean, it's it, I mean, it's it really is like a retreat. That's it's the retreat that takes care of all of the senses as well as you know nourish your brain, but nourish your body, and have it be in an environment where you can totally focus. Totally focus. I have an on staff massage therapist. Have a Tai Chi instructor. Uh, yoga, so uh, everything is there to really be able to get into and better connect to yourself as a person and to your partner and to get the kind of information that you need to help you grow in a sexual and an emotional way. Now, so let's say someone wants to go there Let's say couples are listening to this and they go, you know, I'd love to do that for our anniversary or something. Is this something they can do and have access to someone like yourself while they're there? Or do they need to go with a more set calendar that you might have? Uh, I would be available once they contact me for either a private seminar or for them to go with a couple of friends if that's what they would like. I have total flexibility in terms of my own schedule. Mm-hmm. So um, I go down regularly on a monthly basis so they can either hitch on to a time that I'm going to be there or tell me that that time doesn't work and I would happily arrange it around what their schedule would be. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I think, we, I think we have a marketing idea here for you, my dear. Okay. <laughs> so, let, let me ask you, Berta, in the, you know, 25 plus years you have been doing sex therapy and as a clinical psychologist, have you seen that sex therapy has become a wiser, gentler therapy? Is it more insightful? What has happened with it? What's been really lovely is that the entire evolution uh the evolution of sex therapy really grew out of a desire not to pathologize people who have sexual problems. And I think we've done a wonderful job in doing that. What I'm beginning to now see is on the new forefront, um, some people who do sex therapy consider themselves a sex therapist. I must admit I don't. I consider myself a sex therapist and a couple therapist because I don't think that sex therapy exists independent of a relationship. Thank you. very lovely. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) And I think it's very unfortunate if people haven't really learned how to be a sex therapist and a couple therapist. And it's so important for the public to make sure that the person who they're seeing has really had some advanced training in both areas. 
And I do. Yeah, I did notice that you've got it very spelled out on your site. The things that are often the issues that people may come and address on your site's www.bertadavis.com. And you go through these, you know, people can go back and forth on your site and read it. And, you know, you've got your own little uh, YouTube up there as well. All of a sudden, I'm entering the modern age, Lou, <laughs> with, with help of friends such as you. <laughs> Well, and and here's the thing. People want to know. We know that in the area of sexuality, we want to have and be able to give the kind of accurate, supportive, non-judgmental information to people. But, you know, the best of the thing about the Internet is that, yippee, everything is out there for you. But the downside is you have no idea of the credentialing and whether or not this person actually is going to be able to help you. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. that's something that I have seen constantly. Yeah, it's very, very, it's a great concern to me that uh, people will say that they deal with sexual issues and they really haven't been trained. People will say that they can deal with couple issues and they really haven't been trained. And, you know, at U- at UCLA, we have a year-long training program, mm-hmm. which uh, we really work very hard on training people to be good sex therapists and good couple therapists and seeing them as being very linked together. Well, I know that, I, I know for me when having been on, you know, national councils and, you know, working with former Surgeon General and being on that advisory council, one of the, you know, foci that we had was to create a proper and build a program within medical schools that can give them the kind of training that they need. Because let's be honest, you have a finger, you have a hand, you have a body, but the bottom line is... People don't exist, as you talked about couples therapist and sex therapist, they don't exist in separate vacuums. So, and the majority of physicians do not, and I so applaud the UCLA course, they do not get any training in the area of sexual pleasure. And let us be honest, the main reason people are into, you know, doing things sexually is because it's enjoyable. And we don't speak of sexual pleasure. We tend to only focus on things. People will say, well, there's, you know, erectile dysfunction. There's something wrong. We need to have physicians and therapists and members of the clergy be comfortable to deliver and be trained to deliver the information because that's where people go when they, have, when they have something that they want to address. Yeah, and if we really look at one, what is the major reason couples have problems or individuals have problems sexually, it has to do with the fact that they feel a great degree of pressure. Pressure, not pleasure. The emphasis is on, will I get an erection? Will I be able to keep an erection? Will I reach orgasm? Will I not be able to reach orgasm? Will I feel desire? Will I not feel desire? All of those questions create pressure. And when you give people information and help them explore who they really are and give them choices and really deal with how to help people 
move away from pressure into pleasure, mm-hmm. it would be a very different society. I so agree with you, and I'm, I'm just going to relate a quick story. of I was doing a presentation for the Cosmo staffers in their main boardroom, and Kate White had invited me to come in, and they were asking me what the most you know, often asked questions are to me, and I turned it around when I was done, and I said, tell me, what is the number one question you are asked? And actually, the demographic of Cosmo skews much younger than people think. They say it's 18 to 34, but it's much younger. It skews, you know, down to 14. And, and they both, they, the whole room just sort of went, oh. The number one question that they are asked by young women is, how can I have an orgasm during intercourse? How sad. Isn't it? And here's the thing. They're often having, you know, so here's the thing, and I try and, you know, clean the Vaseline off the windshield and say, look, it's often that these young women are having sex with a male who is slightly older, who, and here's what these women will then be, these young women will often be told, that um, all of my other girlfriends have had orgasms. Police. (laughs) The crowd is laughing right now. And what has happened is that these men are getting information that is, as I call it, you know, a faulty download. And then the young women are feeling the pressure that they're supposed to have an orgasm for stimulation that doesn't work. Now, that is going to be our close on this section here. My guest this evening is Dr. Berta Davis, www.bertadavis.com. And for those who are interested, it is Mexico Villa Milagro, and that's M-I-L-A-G-R-O dot com. That is her retreat area down in Mexico. We have 30 seconds to go, Berta. Anything else you would like to share with people? It's just been a delight talking with you and a delight (laughs) being here this evening. Thank you. This day, my dear, and what I'd like people to know is that I love that line, no pressure and go to the pleasure. I think we should create, I think there should be a book, Luke, pleasure. (laughs) That could be your next book, I can tell. Okay, (laughs) thanks so much for being here, Berta, and thank you everyone for being with us. Bye-bye. Thank you for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget. She will 